This week, leading up to the Veterans Day holiday, the Candidly Speaking podcast would like to take some time to honor veterans who have served in the United States Armed Forces. Our servicemen and women are from varying walks of life. They have wives, husbands, children, and other family who count on them. Their jobs are tough, but with the support of their family, our service members continue to accomplish extraordinary things. This week, I will be highlighting some of those extraordinary things. So sit back, take a listen, and be sure to thank a veteran for the sacrifices that they have made for their families, for you, and for this country. Thank you. to the Candidly Speaking Podcast. As I said before, this is Veterans Week. For this interview, for our final interview, I'll be interviewing my dad, who is a Vietnam War vet. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, so here we go. Right, yes, I am ready for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Alright, we are live recording. Um, so, this week, what I wanted to set out to do is Veterans Day is November the 11th. So, I, which is going to be today. Um, so, I am working on a series to highlight our military veterans and their contributions to this country. Uh, so first, I want to start off and say thank you for your service. All right. So for you, I want to talk about how you ended up joining the military, um, some of the time you spent at Vietnam, and life after Vietnam. Uh, you battled post-traumatic stress and... Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. So what we're going to start off with is um, how did you find find out how did you how did you end up joining the military? How did you join the military? How did you get in? I was drafted in 1969, October. Okay. Uh, what what year was that? 1969. 1969. How old were you? Oh, the time I was. Uh, 19 i just turned let's see, uh, let's see i just turned 19. oh 19 okay yeah. okay mm-hmm. so how did you feel when you found out you were being drafted uh, i feel like i mean think about things like what i'm gonna do and uh, i thought about uh getting i thought about running I said, no, every time somebody run, they always get caught. So I said, well, <laughs> I might well go in. <laughs> oh, yeah? And so I, I, uh, it was in October, so I asked the uh, recruiter, and I said, is there anything I can do so I can stay home for Thanksgiving and Christmas just in case something happened? They said, well, you have to come in with delay plan, which is take, uh, instead of going in October, I went in uh, December. 69 and uh when i got in i was automatic e2 and so uh and i went to fort riley 
I'm in Fort, Fort Bragg for basic training. Oh, they have basic Nine training Jordan. at Fort Bragg? Yep. Fort Bragg. Mm, okay. So describe as best you can how how the draft process went. What was that like? What what happened? Oh, this young person who been inducted into the United States Army. I mean, the uh, United States uh, Armed Forces. They didn't say which one, but they didn't, they didn't know which one I was going to be until I got there. And so when, got, when I got to Raleigh, this man it was all sitting around in a circle like and tell and then this guy came in from the navy he he started saying you 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 in the navy they wrote away they wrote away that they know what they can do and they missed me you know uh somebody got each one of them chairs again and it's gonna ring guy you 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 come with me Got them, then got down to the army, then the army, they did a little pick, they got me. And so that's how I got in the army. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. So how did you break the news to your to the family when you found out, to your mom, to my grandma? How did you, how did you break oh, the I news to them? Well, they knew I was drafted, so, but they didn't know what branch. I told them I was in. I was in the United States Army, so nobody said that, but I saw the looks on their face. That they did not. They were seeing the war on TV every day. Every day the whole was on the news, Vietnam War. And so I knew it was pretty weird, but uh, I, uh, Tanya, uh, Tanya, I'm pregnant with Tanya. So I said, best thing we do, see something happen, I'll marry her. So, well, I had a crazy motto back then. If a woman laid out here, baby, for me, I, I was a man. So I was stupid, but got married. <laughs> and so she had a name in case something happened. Mm. And uh, so uh, I went, went on the base. I got married. I went on the base training. Came back on AIT. Then I came back home uh, when I was in Fort Bragg. Uh, when I finished base training. Everybody got the order, but I didn't get no order for the captain. Uh, you got to stay on KP till you get your orders. Because everybody else that went to Fort Port, Louisiana, they know they were going to Vietnam. You know, captain talk say, you ain't got to worry about going to Vietnam until they ever pick you that first time. You're going to win. So then I got uh, got my orders in uh, Fort Worth, California, infantry. So I went to the captain. I said, hey, they made a mistake yet, didn't they? He said, what do you mean? I said, yeah, they, they sent me the infantry. And I made, I made 90, I made 90, 90 something on the test. And the captain said, look, sir, I'm going to tell you this right now. I, said, I thought I was going to be something else, you know, a truck driver or something. He said, he said, you see, you made a high score. Yeah, I made a high score because I didn't want to be infantry. He said, look, sir, by you making a high score, that's who we pick for infantry in high score because we don't want dummies out in the field. <laughs> I said, damn, I should have been a low score. <laughs> so I was in infantry and I got to a, I left, I left uh, Fort Worth, California. I came home. I wasn't planning on telling nobody where I was going when I left, so I came home. 
And me and Francis were already married, so we went. Uh, you didn't know me. He's old, did you? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure. No, no. Yeah, he was a Latino boy. Yeah, we was standing be spraying. And uh, so we went to uh, Uncle's house. Me and France, me and Tiny Mama, and uh, we were sitting to the table eating. My mom and dad were there. Uncle saw Aunt Clarine. And so we said, you know, he's, oh, he's always picking. So he called me Elijah. He said, Elijah, where you going when you leave here? I mean, can I didn't hear him. I was looking around on everybody looking at me. So I dropped my head back down to start eating. He said, Elijah, you want you, you want to be at Nam, ain't you? Yeah, I said, dang, I ain't going to leave me alone. And last thing I know, Elijah, you want to be at Nam, ain't you? So I looked at everybody looking at me. I dropped my head. I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm coming back. Yeah, that's how I was, I was almost, I had less than a week before I was leaving. Because I wouldn't intend to tell them, I was going to write them and tell them. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I want to go back to something you said, because I don't think most people that's going to listen to this might know what KP duty is, but that's pretty much you in the kitchen all day, right? Yeah, wash dishes, <laughs> put on stuff. Okay. Mopping floors and stuff. So the, kitchen the patrol, that's what it is. Okay. Kitchen yep. patrol. Right, right. So uh so the army brought you in and uh so now the army made you an infantryman and everybody found out now you're going to Vietnam and you know you're going to Vietnam. So uh you're nineteen years old, uh and let's talk about your time. you know, we understand that everyone was worried. Um, but let's talk about you. Uh you were nineteen. Uh, going to another country um, in an unpopular war that, like you said, was on TV almost every day. Uh, so what did it feel like when you first arrived in Vietnam? What did, what did that feel like? Oh, it's because we flew a commercial flight in the country. We got there. We was, uh, it was doing, everybody was doing good through the airplane landed and landed on Cameron Bay. That's in Vietnam. Airport, this airport was that. And this stupid guy on the plane come up. Hey man, what's all these strings in the window for? I see the strings, but in case the Vietnamese down there throw grenades at the window to throw the, the string and bounce a grenade off. <laughs> you could hear a pin drop on that plane when he said that. Mm. I know what the, I knew what they had to be so I couldn't be nothing else. But keep the hand grenades out. <laughs> so went on down there and, and then have no choice to make. And they, uh, you had to find a unit. Which unit you gonna be in? So, uh, uh, the night they had a call. They had a call out to different ones to go to uh, different units. Well, I stayed the whole week on Cameron Bay and played in the Channel Red Sea. And uh, you know, he played in there more. The guy kept carrying me out doing the air And uh, so, then out that first week. And that's when them guys start coming in. I'm um, an Air Force Navy again, picking out folks in different units. We well, different units in the Army, like mechanized unit, uh, air mobile, all we did like this. So, first I didn't say, Private Bird, Fort for Manifest. Bitch, I ain't heard. <laughs> and the next one we got up, they always come middle of the night. And they said, Bird, I couldn't even get on your flight. What flight? I ain't heard nobody call my name. <laughs> so they let go that time. And then uh, the next night they came back by. 
I heard call my name. I know what unit they said, uh, the 25th mechanized unit, but I did want to go mechanized, but I talked to a guy, you know, around there, and he said, uh, the mechanized unit was dangerous because they drive with top of a man, a man with them tanks of blood, so I'm going to be mechanized. So they called my name again, I asked, so he said, he said, all right, Bert, if you want to answer this next matter for us, we'll take you to LBJ. What's long LBJ? Been jail. That was, yeah, long been jail. <laughs> so uh, I said, that they won't be able to be in jail too. So the next night they called, I went, and I ended up being in the Delta First and Seventh Cabaret. Yeah, it scooped my little butt up right there and kept me right on the plane. And it flew nighttime, Atlantic. Atlantic was daytime, so they put me down. I went down to some old guy. We, we were in the jungle, and they said, you got to go join your unit. So I said, what unit? I'm talking about this one. And so I went to join my unit. We just... We were walking on through the jungles and got there some guy that was a bomber crater with a 500 pound bomb fell out. And the guy was down there taking a bath on him, making a hand pot down there, a little bit of water, splashing water. <laughs> I said, you got crazy. And so then we kept walking, we kept walking. And so uh, then uh, about the first week after I was there, we was down there, we got down there. Taking the bag, we were guarding them. And we had sent a patrol out, you know, while we sent a scouting unit out to see what's out there. And uh, they had come up on a Vietnamese place where they they were still eating. We were still smoking when we got up there. And so we headed on down that, got everybody out there. about my time getting there to take a bag. I need to take me a bag and take that bag on we. All right, so come on, y'all, let's move out and see. I was an ammo barrier, and I didn't even know what ammo barrier do. All I knew, I, I supposed to be behind a machine gunner. And, and ammo barrier mean that I take, I had 300, three or 400 rounds of machine gun ammunition, all my ammunition for M16. And so uh, when, when them guys started getting out the hole, they said, come on, let's go. We're going up there and catch them before they get away. And so we were heading down there. All of a sudden, sound the sky broke. There was a thunderstorm. It was monsoon season. And by the time the sky broke like that, and I'm like, do, 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 do. that many shoes, everybody got on the ground. I said, shut I got down there so close. I thought, right, I'm buttoning my shirt. That's right. Then the next thing I know, I had my gun pointed. You know, everybody lined up, just crawling like an alligator. I said, oh, that thing, it was muddy, it was rain, I got everything muddy right then. They climbed on, I said, I said, Bird, get up here. Boy, I'm not feeling my birthday, you don't want me. <laughs> so the, it passed it down the line, I said, All right, Bert, you got to get up there, you the ammo bird. So everybody I passed by, they put 100 rounds on my back. By the time I got there, I had about 1,000 rounds of ammo on my back. I'm dragging it, plug it off there. When I got to the machine gun, he had about, 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 about one foot of ammo left. And I got in that boy, I latched on to that, that blame off. I thought hook around on that blame machine gun with the work. That M60 machine gun cut trees down like, like we are in a log wood. I said, yeah, I got ready. Mm. So it got good at me. I had my little gun laying over there, so I pulled my trigger too. 
<laughs> so so after it was after, funny then, huh? After after you survived mm-hmm. that after you survived that that fight, how did how did you feel after you survived that? Did you feel pretty good about yourself, or were you were you? Yeah, I felt pretty good. So one one thing that puzzled me when I was when we was uh, when I was calling her up there, I kept hearing something zing 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 zing. So I said, I say, uh, what was the zinging noise I heard when, when uh all that shoot going? I still heard that zing. The man, them were bullets going by your head. <laughs> <laughs> I said, damn, y'all heard this thing sound funny. It sounded like a bullet. <laughs> when they would shoot at us, and the bullets would go by my head. I said, damn, man. So then I knew what it was, so I, you know, I, I you know, maybe, you know, when something hit, hit next time, I made sure I I found me a tree. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you. Let me ask you this: Is there is there a time while you were there in Vietnam that you felt like you might not make it back? Like, is there is there is there a battle that you might have been in, or a fight that you might have been in that you might have been a little nervous that you might not make it out? Well, I don't really, I don't really nervous. It was something we had ran to a, uh, a big battle. Uh, on, I don't know if it was September 13, 1970. We, uh, we was on the, we was coming off from a break. We was on the landing zone, which is called the LZ, waiting for the helicopter to pick us up. And this guy was out there playing, uh, who would they more to signify monkey? It's, it's a custom song, song joke, but I cleaned it up when I got home. Even though I used to cuss and stuff, I couldn't even say that no more. So I, I made my own words. I think I still know the whole thing. I'll tell it to you when we get face to face. But I cleaned it up. And uh, so this guy, man, everybody out there laughing, sick and fine monkey, from way down in the jungle deep. The man, you know, lion stepped on the monkey's dabbling feet. <laughs> It's funny all the way through, right? I tell it to you at that time. So, oh, okay. You know, all of a sudden, it sounds sound like the uh, sound like whole sky was buzzing. I turn around, all you could see, the whole sky was covered with helicopters. Damn. Where are them helicopters going? They, they thought coming down there, where were we at? They picked up, we were going in battalion strength. That's that. I know they always talking about this high AO, AO uh, areas of operation. So they picked us up, man, shut about oh, 100, 200 helicopters or more and picked us up. And we, I, I got so used to flying on helicopters. I sit right in the door, you know, and the helicopter always tilt a little bit when it take off. Mm-hmm. So we went on there and we had Cobra. Man, y'all see up there playing Cobra. But you seen, you seen that movie Air Wolf? Uh, I don't remember. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I've seen that. It's a helicopter gunship. That's a bad mama jammer. Airwolf is a the newer one when they made on TV. It had many guns, cannons, and all that stuff. But it, it hold about four people. And a cobra, the cobra is so so narrow. It just hold two people right sitting right behind each other, and fat people couldn't ride in it. And so they were shooting rockets. 20 millimeter cannons, uh, 4,000 round minigun, 
and could dive at 250 miles an hour water. And all of a sudden, I saw them represent, because they laid the pack. I saw them cobras start diving. They do the 4,000 round minute on the way up. That going, you see the smoke down there from where they rockets hit. Man, rocket fuel is just thick as stuff. And so, I've been so used to it. When they put us down, they didn't put us all the way on the ground. That's what they had. Like, you know, we had to jump off the helicopter, hit the ground about, about over your height. Yeah, you jump on running too. You better be on running. So we ran in the woods, and uh, we got in there on the helicopter, land a big wide place. And we, we had door gunners on each side. Everything wasn't that bad. We were ready. We ran in there, and uh, we didn't get it from about about maybe about two hundred feet. All of a sudden, something like the world came. Then radio man said. Seven men down, seven men down. Then I said, ah. So I said, I wonder what we just landed on. So, so then they thought, everybody, top to get in a circle, we had to get in a circle, because we, we had landed on an underground bunker complex. You didn't know it. They, they had their barracks on the ground, all the equipment, everything was on the ground. We landed right on top of them. And so when they thought, coming out, it was body mats around us. And so, uh, I did do a little praying that day. That I think we I prayed every night, but I'm talking about, I had extra prayer that day. And so, so we was around and it was so much shooting and smoke going on. You got so many shells on the ground, you could rake them with your hand. And you couldn't see nothing but smoke. It was like a fog. And it, kept, it was dropping ammunition. For, you know, and I was, uh, I was guarding the guard dog. I was guarding the dog and, and his man. And because after everything, oh, we had yeah, yeah, a tunnel rat. I always pick the shortest, smallest man for a tunnel rat. You go in the tunnel, see how many dead in there, and come drag about. And so, so uh, we started that morning, man, we felt well. The bad part about it, after we got surrounded, we couldn't we had to get out because it was steady closing in, right? And uh, so, uh, Captain Taylor, we got the. Uh, we got to make a black, we got to make a hole to get out of here. And so they called the artillery on the ship. Ship's about 20 miles on the water, but that's no problem for them, that thing, big one, 75 houses. So but they couldn't get in close enough to blow their hole. And so they said, Dad, so we can't, we can't get y'all out of artillery. And Captain said, What about them F 18s? He said, We'll give it a try. So we come 50 meters before y'all, y'all going to get down. We were just gonna be mighty close, man. Sorry, something coming in, boy. Them that blame big jet came out there, boy. Find them that blame machine gun. Then they uh, two of them right side by side, blast a big hole, made a hole where we get through the dude. It was so thick, and uh, so did the captain retreat, retreat. We start running back, running back, you know, running through that hole. And we got out that hole. Them jets and Cobra ate that place up, boy. Yeah. No. Sound like that was a uh, sound like that was a pretty scary, uh, pretty scary thing. So yeah, with it yeah, with 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 that with with that with that uh, with that kind of battle, did you have any friends that passed away while you were in Vietnam? I had a friend. I lost a I lost a buddy in that battle, but he didn't die. He got to go home. He wrote me. We came in together. His name was Bill Witt. 
You call everybody bruh, you know, white guy for bruh, black guy for bruh, it makes no difference. He's a bruh. And we were fighting this war together. That's one thing that hurt Vietnam because when we got back home, it wasn't like that. Everybody, it was prejudice when we got back home, but I didn't see they prejudice the white war. Most of it was. He kept in, he knew I had to watch his back, he had to watch my back. Because if you go out and take a dump, you know, you just who, who go out there with you, got to be squatting down and taking a dump. So I got to be standing guard while you dumping. Yeah. So everybody was, you know, everybody was you know, pretty good, pretty good with each other. Yeah, I lost some guys, you know, but you, you try to keep from getting attached to anybody what they do. About every three months, they'll move you around to another unit. If, mm-hmm. You know, they see you getting attached to somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they because you didn't know if somebody would die and they didn't want you to be too yeah, emotional attached? Yeah, you stay. Yeah, yeah. You would want to get a chance of bringing morale down. So tell me, so you told me a story before about this guy uh, named Jingles who died. Uh, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you share a quick story about, uh, Jingles and, and how he died and tell him and tell us where, where he got the name Jingles from. Oh yeah. And Jingles from, uh, he looked like, uh, this old cowboy show called Wild Bill Hickok. And he had a buddy called Jingles. (laughs) Jingles was always funny and he he didn't take a whole lot of stuff serious, but he, you know, I mean, Wild Bill Hickok always got in the in gunfights and stuff, but Jingles always stood up and stood his ground. And so they gave the name Jingles. Jingles had a machine gun. He was a good guy, man. I was, and he called in on the radio. I said, man, Jingles, Jingles just went down. He, he walked through the jungle and a bang caught the machine gun. They called him, wait a minute, bang. They had a bang that had a hook like a claw. If it catch you, it's going to hold you for a minute. So they called it, wait a minute, man. And so it caught his uh, clothes and then it caught the trick of the machine gun. And, and uh, the way he was carrying it, it shot his legs off and bled itself like that. So, yeah. But we lost four guys, a lot of guys, too. We killed a lot of our, guys, our own guys ourselves. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. Oh, because the van caught the trigger and pulled it. No, he put, the van caught the grenade. That's why I didn't carry a grenade. The grenade, well, they had the Panama type and the baseball type. That's what it was, a grenade. And he went by, and they didn't have safety pins on first. That van caught that pin and pulled the pin, and, and he got five seconds. Five seconds, that's enough to get, get away from a grenade. Mm. And they killed him. Yeah, that's how I remember. I wanted my machine gun. Mm, wow. Yeah. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty sad. So, um, with that being said, um, only got a couple more things. Uh, so what is what is? It sounds like you said something earlier that I think is a is a good uh, it's kind of a good message. But um, you know, you were talking about while you were in Vietnam, you know, even if somebody was prejudiced, they didn't really show it much because everybody recognized that you had to have each other's back. Um, so, 
Right. So whatever, whatever, no matter what is going on in our country right now, one thing that's always been common in the service members is that no matter your race and all that stuff, they've always had each other's back, right? That's right. So I have, so is there another message other than that message that you want to share with people about Vietnam or about serving in the military? And one another problem they had when we came back is turning us loose like nothing happened to people that didn't accept us. We didn't get no breeze and we came on we got yes, you know, it's safe, but yeah, I didn't I didn't get there. I came on and things all right, but uh, a lot of places. Uh, when we go like when the war stuff over in nineteen seventy five, they didn't cheer the Vietnam vets when they came back. You call us baby killers and all that crazy stuff like that. They never honor us. They had no respect for us. And then when you came back to your own town, guys actually thought if they kill a Vietnam vet, they'd be a bad dude. You know, like that. Yeah, a lot of uh, friends, or uh, he's from South Carolina, he came home, he went to a club, and dude, they got an argument, and dude shot him in the stomach, he shot him, but he didn't kill him. And he, he thought he was going to get a chance to do a Vietnam vet for everybody. So he was a bad man and all that stuff like that. We were, we were mostly targeted, but uh, people dying, Bill, they were just country. They were country. They didn't, nobody didn't, uh, they looked at me funny sometimes. And uh, they, uh, basically, I didn't, my, my uh, behavior didn't change. I was inside, I was aggressive. I yearned to be a battle. I wanted to fight. I wanted to go back. But they wouldn't send me back when I got to Fort Riley. They come, first time I got to Fort Riley, I left. After I left on my leave, and I, I took, uh, I took Francis and, uh, Katina had not been born. But time stayed home. And Francis had another daughter. We took her to Kansas, and they gave me out there shooting blanks that day. And I came back and I turned my weapon back in. And I said, "You didn't clean this. Clean it for what? I'm not cleaning no gun and shooting blanks." I said, "Y'all want me to clean the gun? Tell me about it being now." So he woke me up. Y'all are 15. And uh, they want to know why I wouldn't uh, come back. I said, "Man, I ain't come back for to be playing." I said, I'm gonna gun, I want to have a real thing. And so they went through channels and all that stuff and tried to, they claimed they tried to get me to go back, but they they won't try to help me get back over there. But I knew I was a warrior, I was going back. A lot of guys, a lot of guys I know went make second and two and three tours over there. Mm. It was just something about that place that was attractive. Super okay. Well, so, so that's why I think that's why I think the a lot of Vietnam veterans that I've met have, um, you know, a lot of them have suffered from you know post post traumatic stress disorder. Um, I remember when we were kids, uh, when we were kids, and we'd be around the house uh, popping our bubble gum, and you didn't like that too much. No, I can no stand that. I didn't like that before I went. Well, if me and Doc, oh, well, like me and Doc had it after I got back. He was popping gun. I couldn't stand it because, you know, it just startled me. 
you know, sound like an AK-47 off in the distance. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, um, so when you were on your way back, sounds like, you know, when you got back, you, you kind of wanted to go back and, and continue to let out some of that rage. And I think, I think a lot of our veterans, I think a lot of our veterans experience that even in, in modern wars, they go to war and you create this, you create this machine of a person and they come back and they have to adjust to a slower, a more calm yeah. life, and it's not always easy to do. Because I knew, I knew just one thing I knew I could do. I could, I could handle a weapon. And when I came back, it was no use for me, you know. And I didn't figure, I didn't think nothing I could do with that. And uh, so, they, well, they didn't detox us. They didn't tell us that things going to be different. And I couldn't. I couldn't go along with the program of Candy Command, what I had a problem with. And so when I did stay in Fort Riley, I got, you know, situated a little bit because they, they were, uh, they weren't no, they was trying to, you know, place me after I wouldn't fire that weapon so they, uh, kept me somewhere else and do something else. I wouldn't do it. I didn't do good at it. Then, uh, I'm sorry, they said, uh, why don't you put them playing all TCs? And so I like to turn on all TCs when we get to play. But uh, uh, I get to feel like I was doing something. I had, my job was to fool the uh, OCS candidates out there trying to learn how to be, you know, be officers. And so I was put down there. Pretend I was a wounded soldier, American soldier, but I was really an enemy. And so they, when they put decide what they supposed to do about me, you know, once they found me out there in the, in the, in the jungle, what they supposed to do is call in somebody to come and get me. But them dummies, uh, I was out there. So I had an ambush set up for them. If they followed me out there, they still asked me questions. You know, they don't really know me. They uh, they said it's an exercise. You don't know what's going on, so I said, uh, uh, I said I know, I know. I saw uh, I saw some Vietnamese while I'm wandering around. I had pallets going like I was like uh, oh, a jump parachuter. And I said uh, I saw some Vietnamese. I saw some enemy up here, and I had men, you know, all around in the hole. And uh, they said, come on, find me. I'll show you where they and when they get up there, I'll show you, I'll show you this. I said, kill, kill the GI. Then they start shooting their blank. Blah, 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 blah. And then uh, the man come put a dig tag. Which one of them mocked them dead? <laughs> I got a kick out of that. So, you were, so, you, were, so you were helping and training yeah. the officers in OCS. Yeah. Uh, so just for everybody listening, OCS is basically Officer Candidate School is where uh, yeah, uh-huh. soldiers soldiers go to um to to train to become become an officer. It's one of the ways that they can become an officer. There's there's other ways that you can become an officer in the military. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, you can go through the show. Yeah. So uh I guess they chose that way. And so they uh they listen to me get dead. Mm. It was fun to one day uh after, after they start shooting the guy, 
This <laughs> one guy chased me down and shot me with a blanket side of my face. I was going to get him getting the man caught me. I got ten times by the thing burned. Mm. <laughs> so now looking back, yeah. now looking back, you're seventy years old. Uh, tell, explain. Can you explain in any kind of ways? Um, as we close out this conversation, can you explain in any kind of ways how the how the army even even that many years ago how the army has still shaped you today? Uh, brother shaped me. Yeah, like how does how does the army like how has the army impacted you today? Oh, I'm uh, I'm always aware. I'm always watching my surroundings. I'm always. I'm always as, I ain't as alert as I was when I was 19, but I, uh, I can, I still hear, but I can't hear like I, when, when I was 19, I trained myself, if a net land on a leaf, I could hear him land. <laughs> I, I tuned my senses in. I told my senses to be, you know, be more stronger, you know, because I needed it. I needed everything to be working perfectly, super perfect. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that's interesting yeah. because I had a conversation with someone um, a few weeks back and we were talking about um, now you don't have to talk about this for yourself. I'm just telling you my story. I uh, me and this guy were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about people, you know, people, different drinking habits. Some people drink, some people don't drink. And I explained to him I, I I didn't drink, and one of the biggest reasons I didn't drink is because I always wanted to be aware of my surroundings. So um, that was that was one of my that was always one of my biggest things. But uh, so I gotta uh, close out the interview. Uh, so thank you for your time, thank you for your service, thank you for taking the time to do this interview today. Um, I will be publishing this interview at some point i'll let you know when it's going to be published and where it's going to be published and that is it so thank you for your time and your service all right i'll talk to you in a little bit all right All right, that was my dad, Luke Burke Sr., on the Candidly Speaking podcast, telling his story, telling part of his story about the Vietnam War. There's a lot of stuff that happened in Vietnam that people would never hear, that you would never hear. And it's my job to tell those stories. This is why I'm here. We'll do a part two with him. Um, We got so much more stuff to talk about. My next guest, we even got more stuff to talk about, man. This is, this is, this is important. Let's honor our vets. Candidly speaking, we out.